Support for the Rink Rat Report podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code RINKRAT. That is R-I-N-K-R-A-T. All one word at manscaped.com. That is R-I-N-K-R-A-T at manscaped.com. If that's if my math is correct, that's about 16 million balls. All right, we're recording. Yes, sir. Welcome everyone to the Rink Rat Report Podcast. Joined today by former NHL defenseman and current TSN hockey analyst Frankie Corrado. Frankie, how's it going today? Good guys. Nice to be back. How you doing? Awesome. Awesome. Unfortunately, you know. Little bit on on edge, we'll call it in Leafs land here, but after uh, going down o to o two to the Panthers, but so let's get right into it, Frankie. What have you thought the Leafs have done well through two games in the second round? Yeah, it's interesting. Everyone wants to talk about what the Leafs haven't done well. Like, there's plenty of that talk going around. Maybe it is time to talk about what the Leafs have done well. I thought the first game, I thought they were really physical. Like that's one of the the criticisms that this team always faces is that, is that they're always the ones kind of knocked down on the ice and they're kind of waiting for the physical game to, to come to them. Like Jake McCabe for what he lacked in kind of uh, puck moving abilities in game one, he was great physically in, 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 in game one. So was Luke Shen. Like there's a number of times Matthew Kachuk was, was on the ice and um, I don't think a lot of people were expecting that right out of the gate. So, you know, you talk about a guy like Kachuk and, and the impact he's going to have on this series and making life difficult for him. I thought in the first game they did a really good job of that. The other thing, like, I, I actually don't have a problem with Ilya Samsonov's game. Like, I thought he made a number of same saves at the right times throughout both games that gives the Leafs a chance to to stay in those games and win those games. And, like, it, it's not exactly always about just being, like, like the goaltender that doesn't let in any goals. Like it's hard to expect that every single night. And let's be honest, we've been watching Samson off long enough now throughout this stretch where we know there's something ailing him. Like he's slow to get up. Um, there's clearly something um, that he's dealing with, but I give him a lot of credit, man. Like he's battled, he's made saves at, at crucial moments where in the past, it's like, that's the kind of game that can get away from them um, when they don't get those saves. And I, I don't know, I, I feel like he's he's done a pretty good job kind of battling, hanging in there and giving his team a chance to to, to win those games. But um, ultimately, the offense hasn't really provided for them. And, um, you know, turnovers have, have cost them in this game. But there's it, it's weird because they are down to nothing and there's still more to be desired from this team offensively. Like you'd like to see the star players step up. Um, but with that being said, there's still some time in the series, uh, for, for those kinds of things to happen and those kinds of players to assert themselves, although time is running out now. Yeah. It's starting to get a little tight now with, uh, only what, five games left in the series and you got to win four of the five. It's not obviously not an easy task, but again, they brought in the right guys like Ryan O'Reilly, Nolachari, Luke Shen, all those guys who are veteran and experienced. So, um, I, I, you touched on the things that the Leafs did really well. I, I and I know a lot of people are kind of blowing the, what they've done poorly out of proportion, but is there any fair criticisms that you would, you would share about the Leafs, what they can, I guess, improve on uh, from the first two games of the series? Yeah, the first two. Okay. So the first thing is, is the turnovers. And if you watch Florida play against Boston, you would know that that's the thing that hurt Boston in that series. Like I believe, I can't remember what game it was, 
But one of those games, I think it was game five, three out of the four goals that Florida scored against Boston came directly off turnovers. And the other goal in that game came off uh, an undisciplined penalty at center ice right after scoring a goal Mm -hmm. that led to a Panthers power play. So that's like four self-inflicted goals in that game that, that Boston gave up to Florida. And Florida's done a good job. Like they play with a lot of speed. They forecheck really hard. So they, they put you under that pressure. They put you under that duress. Uh, but ultimately, like that's your responsibility to handle that. So um, the Leafs need to do a better job in that regard, handling the forecheck and just making smarter decisions with the puck. And I understand like the Leafs have great players, like really creative guys, offensively gifted guys. And it's hard to sometimes say, okay, like this is a spot where I live to fight another day, or this is a spot where I'm just going to sprint to the red line, chip it in, and we're going to go chase it um, because they're just not wired that way. That's not what makes them special players. So it's hard to, to kind of flip the switch there mid game pressures on tired legs, tired brain, all that kind of stuff. I get it, but that's going to be a crucial part of this series for the Leafs. Um and the other thing, like they did a great job in round one against Vasilevsky of keeping him deep in his blue paint, like always had someone camped out in front of him, um, always had some kind of traffic, you know, looking for sticks at the side of the net. And they veered off from that now against Bobrovsky. And you go to game two and you see it early on where camp is screening the goalie. Alex Kerfoot jumps on a rebound, empty net, no problem. And then the power play goal, John Tavares is right in front. Like he's, making it his business to be in front of Bobrovsky, Ryan O'Reilly, wide open cage. Like those, that's exactly what they did well in the first round against Vasilevsky, but it's just been too, like it's, it's too few and far between right now. Um, and when you see them start a game like that, like they did in game two, you're thinking, okay, like very encouraging. Like they know what they need to do. They just need to execute it. Uh, but as that game went on, as much as they started pouring on the offense and Nylander came to life and Matthews had great chances Look what's happening in front of Bobrovsky. He's coming right out. He's challenging. He can see it. And when he's in the zone the way he is, like he's playing great. If he can see it, he's going to stop it. So that's something the Leafs need to address. Yeah, that's a good point there. I, I, you, I mean, like you'd think like he's they're they're getting those chances where they're one on one with the goaltender. But Bobrovsky's done an excellent job of just keeping those feet set, challenging well, and making like very timely and huge saves too. Um, the one thing that we've noticed that the Leafs defense have kind of struggled with is moving the puck out of their own end. Um, is there anything that you would like to see in game three specifically from the Leafs defense to uh, improve on that? Yeah, it's funny. So if, if you recall in game two, the first goal Florida scores, Lilligren's going back for the puck and who was his deep partner? It might've been Giordano. He made Giordano. a stand. Yeah, so he made a stand up in the neutral zone. So Lilligren's going back for the puck. We practiced that all the time when I played for Sheldon Keefe. Like, I can remember the name of the drill. The the drill is called the L.A. Bump. Okay, I guess it comes from the L.A. Kings. And the name of the drill is to bump it to your partner behind the net on, on your side of the net where the puck is. And so we practice it where both D go back for pucks. We practice it where... 1D goes back and the centerman goes to retrieve that puck. So Lilligren has done that in practice a million times, and so has Tavares. And if you go back and watch that video, Tavares does this like weird stutter step where he's not sure where Lilligren's going to put that puck. But Lilligren's putting it behind the net. Like they've practiced, they practice it once a week. That puck is going behind the net. So Tavares needs to help out his defenseman in that situation because that third line for Florida 
they forecheck well and they're fast and they're like that third line is becoming a problem for the Leafs because I don't I don't think they knew what kind of jump that line was going to have and the kind of like puck possession game they can play, um, how quickly they bring things to the net. So that's just like one example. Um, but here's like you're under duress, you're, you're getting forecheck like that. Coaches always used to have this saying, we push on possession, meaning so it's a clean puck. Defenseman has it. He's looking up ice. Wingers, it is time to push because we now have a clean possession and try and force those defensemen to get out of the zone. And if they don't want to do that, if they want to hang in, then it's up to the defenseman to make a play, whether it's a high flip, whether it's something where the Leafs players can skate onto it um, and, and create some kind of foot race out in the neutral zone. So it, it's, there's a lot of moving parts. It's not like a one size fits all approach where you, you just think you're going back for pucks and you're just going to make nice plays. Like it's going to be a little greasy. It's going to be a little bit mucky. Uh, but that's something that they need to kind of realize because Florida comes with a lot of pressure and their D are aggressive pinching as well. Like the, the D are not just bystanders in the forecheck. They're very much involved in it. Um, so they'll need, they'll need a little bit of help and a little more recognition as far as what the right play is and, Sometimes it just seems like it, it would be a meat and potatoes pr- approach as, as opposed to how we see the Leafs break out a lot during the season up the middle of the ice, very organized. Everyone's coming up together. Probably not going to be the case here on, on most occasions against Florida. Yeah. I love, yeah. I love your little, uh, what you, what you mentioned there about Lilligren. Cause uh, I thought a lot of people were like wrongfully like blaming him for that play, but that's very clear and automatic for the Leafs. And it's, you peeled behind, you peeled us back the curtain just a little bit to show us that like yeah like that's what the Leafs are trying to do there so I, I love that little piece of information but you mentioned the the forwards and I guess you're talking about the wingers specifically need to drift up ice more when we have possession of the puck in, in the breakout but is there anything else you see from the forwards that they could be doing more of like is is the like should the center be swinging a little bit lower to support the strong side winger when they get the puck um should the, the weak side winger be like sprinting up ice because you know how off- aggressive and offensive the the defensemen are in the offensive zone jumping up like what what are some things that maybe the forwards can do to help out there? Or is it just solely on the defense where you just got to start making the right play, whether that be passing, making the right pass, or even just skating it up yourself? It's always a little bit of both, right? But like if a, if a winger gets a puck on the wall, a lot of times, you know, coaches will tell the far side winger to make his way across the ice. So to, to the other winger's side of the ice, because what that does is that just draws another defenseman onto the same side of the ice where, where the puck is. And that allows your your weak side defenseman, and Morgan Riley does this really well. Jake McCabe does it really well, where now he can jump in and fill that empty area on the ice. And now you got a four-person attack heading up the ice, and you've also messed up the other team's gap while doing so. So that's something like some teams will call it a slash player. Some teams use the, the term push the pace. Uh, but I think push the pace is a good kind of mentality for the team right now where you see they're getting in trouble against Florida when they bring pucks back a little bit. And I know it's tough because, you know, there's a, like they're skilled players and they want to kind of weave their way up the ice. But as much as you want to do that, there, there still becomes a time where you need to play a territorial game where you just need to own red lines, own blue lines, um, and not teams kind of gain territory on you and you gain territory on them. And Florida seems like one of those teams where the Leafs would be better suited to, to play that kind of game and it can feel uncomfortable. It really can. Uh, but you can see, like, as you kind of chip chip away at it, as the night goes on shift after shift, you realize, okay, like, we're actually in the offensive zone 
uh, quite a bit more than we were before we were doing this. And then, you know, as you break teams down, that's when you see that skill come to the forefront. Um, you know, the, the game in Tampa Bay was a game five. No, the game four would have been at home. So it would have been game four in Tampa Bay when the Leafs were down. Um, Austin Matthews scores that really nice goal off the rush, off that feed from Mitch Marner. Like that was one of those games where the Leafs didn't have anything going, but they kind of stuck with it and stuck with it. And then eventually there's like one pass from TJ Brody that beats all three players in the neutral zone. It's like, there you go, that your light bulb just went off. You stuck with it and you finally found a way to break through and you got rewarded for it. And you see, okay, you wore them down. Now your skill broke through. It was like nice pass from Nylander, nice pass from Marner. Matthew's patented wrist shot release it's like it's it's a beautiful thing when it all comes together but that doesn't happen without the process of the previous you know 50 minutes leading up to that yeah I I actually I remember distinctly that goal you're talking about game four in the comeback um, yes. it was funny to watch because someone coming off the bench just rifled the puck at Mitch Marner's chest and like usually if that's maybe a lesser player that puck's going back to Tampa and you know Maybe we don't advance past Tampa, but Mitch Marner makes a controlled play. They control the puck, and then Brody just a backhand no look up the ice. That was a a hell of a goal there. Um, I wanted to touch on a little bit. I, I feel it that there's a big difference between Tampa's defensive structure and Florida's defensive structure. Um, I'm probably not articulating it that that well, though. Is there any difference? big differences you've seen between the two defensive structures? We can start in the neutral zone. So they actually play the exact same formation. It's, it's You call it a 1-1-3. One, one, so essentially mm-hmm. three players stacked across the blue line, one player in the middle of the ice, one player just trying to steer things to one side of the ice. That's essentially what it is. Tampa's was a, Tampa's was a little more effective because Tampa's second player was a little more aggressive, whereas Florida's is just – excuse me, not as not as much assertive as, as Tampa's was. And, and Tampa just seemed to clog things up a little bit more. So the Leafs are finding ways to, you know, have opportunities off the rush. And that's great. Like, that's very encouraging because at some point you would think they'll find a way to beat Bobrovsky off the rush if they keep doing that. Um, as far as in-zone goes, it is very similar. Like, a lot of these teams are, you know, you call it like a layer system. Like, a lot of teams have gotten away from, like, a man-on-man, chasing your player around the ice kind of thing. That that seems like it's a thing a thing of the past because you just need to have a little more insulation um, in the defensive zone. Really, what it comes down to is who can execute the best. Like mm-hmm. I see a lot of people talking about, uh, oh, is Maurice out coaching Sheldon Keith and John Cooper? Like, uh, was he out coaching Sheldon Keith? What adjustments can he make? And and this and that. It's like you know what the best adjustment is when your star players execute better than the other team's players. Like that's. That's really what it comes down to. I was talking to someone this morning about this, another former hockey player, and we were trying to remember, like, okay, when you went into a playoff series, we kind of knew what we were talking – like, we knew what the talking points uh, were and the strategy was going into the series. Rarely, rarely did it ever change during the middle of the series where we're like, okay, now it's like this. There's maybe a minor little tweak. You saw something on a face-off that they're throwing at you that you maybe didn't expect – but the bones of it are the same. It really comes down to who's going to execute better. And for the Leafs right now, they're at times not executing with the puck in crucial moments, like essentially end of the period and start of the period. Um, and, and that's what's costing them. 
And Florida's a very opportunistic team. That's what it's like being on a hot team, riding a hot hand. Good shooting percentages and, um, you know, finding ways to, to score when you get your opportunities. And the Leafs haven't been able to when they get their opportunities. Yeah, and, and I just want to touch on something you brought up there, the execution at the both beginning and end of periods, because we saw it in the Tampa Bay series where sometimes the Leafs would let in, especially in the games that they lost, a couple goals at costly times towards like the very end of the period with almost like less than a minute left. Um, and then you saw last game where uh, a minute into the game, they just didn't seem to start on the right foot and they get caught not once, but twice leading to two goals and eventually leading to them losing the games. Uh, as a former player yourself, like what are some things that could potentially lead to I guess not starting on time and not finishing the whole period, or is it more just I kind of uh, me overblowing <laughs> the idea behind it? It just kind of happens, or like what? What you know? What's what? your take it's on more that? just an awareness, like it's a game awareness, right? Like that's just when you have to be a little more attentive at the end of the period, at the start of the period, and um, you know, I I know from my own experience, there were times where I had just finished a period, I go into the dressing room, I'm trying to like. Re regroup reset myself get ready for the next period and it could be hard like there's there's a lot of emotions highs and lows even within a game forget about game to game but yeah. like those are just excuses really that's all they are right like you're a professional you're paid a lot of money like you got to perform and, and you need to um you know play at a high level especially when when it's critical moments because that's why these guys are are paid the way they are so um you know, as far as that goes, that's something in the room that the players need to to come to grips with and the players need to address. That's not something where a coach comes in and starts yelling and screaming and kicking things around. It's like th those are things we all know as players. And the best locker rooms are actually the ones where the players kind of run the show. Like if the coach needs to come in and, and tell you X, Y and Z, like you've kind of lost the plot already. Really what a coach is doing at this point in the season is providing you with um, information that is important to the product on the ice as far as motivation and all that kind of stuff that's a player's thing and that's just like a you know we talk about experience all the time this should be a fairly experienced group right now like there should be no secrets as far as what leads to playoff success for this group considering they finally won a round but more importantly all the rounds they've lost in the past where you know we've we've been calling them learning experiences like it, it's it's time to apply those learning experiences that they've had over the past seven years. Yeah, exactly. You call them learning experiences. This must be the smartest team on planet Earth. I gotta say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I do have a a question. I inter like sorry, an an opinion I want from you. So the Leafs defense, I, we we talked about them previously and their struggles and such. What like. In your opinion, would you put Eric Gustafson in? It would probably be for Mark Giordano. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I I know Giordano doesn't look very fast right now. I know there's been times where it looks like he's struggling. With Matthew Nyes being out of the lineup for the next two games, I think it's a great opportunity for them to go back to eleven and seven and keep Giordano in the lineup and just monitor his minutes. Right. Like Gustafson can play your second power play unit. Mm -hmm. He can get out at five on five a little bit more with Lilligren and Giordano can still play penalty kill and he can still give you some, um, you know, some gnarly spots on the ice. Like for me, Giordano is one of those guys, you call him a cooler, right? Like there's a guy who has experience and maybe the game gets a little too uh, back and forth or turns into a track meet. That's a guy you should be able to look to and say, okay, can you give us just a steady shift here? And so that's why I, I would take this opportunity with, you know, 
there, there's no one that you're going to put in the lineup up front with Nyes out that you think is going to be a, a game changer for you. But maybe having seven defensemen in the lineup gives you an opportunity to monitor Giordano's minutes, put him in some good spots, get Eric Gustafson out on the second power play unit. And now maybe that's your game changer. The fact that you have a little more insulation on the back end and you can really run your your best forwards through the lineup with some different looks. Like when they had 11 and 7, I can't remember which game it was. Game 6. But there was a game 6. There was a time where Matthews, Achari and Kerfoot were on the ice at the same time and I'm like, man, those guys played pretty good with Austin Matthews and they would now like outside of the odd time Alex Kerfoot is never playing with Austin Matthews and rightfully so. But for some reason, those three guys, I was like, man, they won a couple shifts. Like, they did a good job. It's amazing what, you know, players like that can do every once in a while when they got the get the opportunity to play with a, you know, a superstar player like that. So, and, and even, like, if you look at Edmonton, Edmonton had that going against L.A. where Dreisaitl was playing a ton. And he'd get out there with Yamamoto and Clem Costin. And you're like, there they are again. Like, that's a good shift, right? So, it kind of combines you know, two different styles of play, two different worlds and, and worlds. And um, it, it seems like it can have some positive effects. Yeah. And it seems like also when you're a forward doing the 11 and seven shuffle, it's not as um, impactful. It's, it's, it's good to get a different look with different guys on the ice instead of the same guys over and over again. But I'm just curious how, how you uh, as a, as a former player, like the 11 and seven, you seem to like it, but do you think like it affects your, your pairings as all? Do you think that there should be like some consistency or is it like, Throw, throw the consistency out the window. These guys are professionals. They should be able to play with anyone at any point in time. Like, do you think there's, like, chemistry that needs to be built? Or, yeah, just thoughts on 11 and 7. You want to have, like, you want to have some familiarity for sure. And it, it's not like it's just a completely mixed bag and it's just, like, who knows? It's chaos. Who's going on the ice? It's not, it doesn't really work that way. Like, your top pair is probably going to be your top pair. Your second pair is likely going to be your second pair. Where the... um you know, where the inconsistency lies is, is usually on your third pair, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's where guys will be kind of in and out. And, um, you know, after penalties or power plays, that's where you'll you'll see a little bit of interchange happening. But if it's just a five-on-five five game and there's a good flow to it, everyone seems to get into a, a good rhythm and a good flow. The, the player who doesn't like the 11 and 7 is the 6 and 7 guy because they're the ones who are always – okay, it should be my shift, but it's actually not. And, oh, now we're going to TV timeout. And now that's another two minutes, and we're going to start with our top pair. So I haven't been on the ice in, you know, eight minutes in real time. So that's where it can get a little bit frustrating. But when there's a purpose to it, mm-hmm. and in this case there would be a purpose to it, the purpose would be to find a way to tailor Mark Giordano's minutes to to a level that are that is appropriate for right now and find a way to put Timothy Lilligren in a good spot and get Eric Gustafson some, some ice time where he can break the puck out well and play on the second power play unit. Like when you can see the purpose to it, that's when it makes sense for everyone on the bench and everyone's bought in and guys can say, okay, like we understand what's going on. We know what we're doing here. And, you know, we can live with the kind of inconsistencies shift to shift. Yeah. Yeah. And also like to your point about 11 and seven, like think if the Leafs, God forbid, knock on wood, go down a goal, like on their defense, they have Morgan Riley where it's like you put him out there to get a goal. Now, if you have Eric Gustafson as that seventh defenseman, I suppose that's, that's another guy out there that could help you offensively. Right. That's exactly it. Right. So, so you think about go back years and years now when Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner were both on the team and I happen to be there as well. Right. 
but that was two guys where they didn't necessarily play together ever mm-hmm. be partners, but the Leafs are down a goal and the net is pulled. Both those guys were on the ice at the same time. So yeah, I mean, different complexion of the team. You'd probably have Riley with five forwards, but like you understand the point. It's like now you, you have a few more options as far as, okay, you're down a goal. You need someone who can move a puck. You need someone who's good at the point. Um, you need someone who can extend an offensive zone play. Um, so yeah, it, it gives you more options and, and even it, it just kind of, it, it lessens the, the use of players that maybe aren't going to have as big of an impact up front. Now, Matthews and Marner and Nylander, like I couldn't get enough of Neil, William Nylander in the third period last night, a little bit too late for me. Like I would have liked to seen that earlier on, but you know, the fact that they had to go down last night because Matthew Nyes was out that allowed Nylander to get into the game way, way more. And thought Sheldon Keefe did a nice job of recognizing that and making sure he was on the ice as much as he possibly could have been. Yeah. I, I loved seeing that one too. Um, so we did, we did see last night, there was rush chances from Austin Matthews, John Tavares, several from William Nylander. Were these just taking advantage of opportunities or was there a strict, like a, um, I want to say strategic or play difference that was going on that allowed this. Well, this is the thing now with Florida, like you're going to have opportunities like this is let's keep in mind, the Panthers are up to nothing in this series. They were the eighth seed. They squeaked into the playoffs as much as they were playing well in the second half of the season. They were the eighth seed for a reason. And it's not exactly world beaters on the back end. Like we're not talking about Hedman and Chernak and McDonough from years past. We're talking about guys like, and, and the, I mean this very respectfully, we're talking about guys like Mark Stahl, Mahura, Gustav Forsling, good player. Like, don't get me wrong, but there's going to be opportunities to be had for this Leafs team, and they're getting the opportunities. They're just not finding ways to score. I thought John Tavares did a great job. I thought he was really snake bitten, like a number of times where he's kind of in his zone there down below the goal line or in and around the front of the net. And that is where he makes his living. That's his bread and butter. And Bobrovsky was up to it every single time. And you hope that if the Leafs continue to do that, they'll find a way to break through. Uh, But that'll be up to them to keep chipping away at that. But opportunities are going to come off the rush as long as the the Leafs continue with this process of, um, you know, speed through the neutral zone. Like they're getting through the neutral zone much better than they did against Tampa Bay. And I think that's leading to a few more rush chances for them. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think, I think we're going to close out with just, uh, one more question. I don't know if you have any more for, for today, Piz, but, uh, yeah, just curious on your general thoughts on this series. I know we talked a lot about this, but just how you think, what do you think the biggest thing the Leafs can do, Leafs can do to win this series? Like just fire from the hip, what you think? Uh, I think it comes down to Bobrovsky. I think he's really dialed in. I think he's really in the zone. And as much as we talk about teams always having to wear the other team down, I think sometimes we forget like the goaltender is part of that conversation. I know you can't hit him. I know you can't really do anything other than, um, you know, screen him, get a lot of rubber, like get a lot of shots, but that's part of it. Like they need to find a way, a way to wear this guy down to the point that he's the one getting frustrated. He's the one who's kind of like feeling the heat because the Leafs have been in the offensive zone for a couple minutes and there's been someone in his grill, someone in his kitchen the whole time. Um, so I think that's, that's a big thing for them. And the opportunities will be there as long as they hold up their end of the bargain. Uh, but just like you need to wear down a team, you need to wear down the other team's goaltender. And this guy is playing like the $10 million guy they thought they signed. It's terrible timing for the Leafs. It's great timing for Florida. But 
with that being said, the Leafs are more than well equipped to find a way to get pucks past them. Exactly. Like it, it doesn't feel that bad based on the chances and everything we're seeing, but the results are O two, and that just kind of rots at you. But anyways, Frankie cannot thank you enough for coming on. This has been awesome. Frankie Corrado from TSN, catch him on TSN 1050. Also in between periods, uh, on TSN 1050 with Jim Taddy. Those are always awesome. That in the pregame. So Frank, thanks again, Frankie, for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys.